You are listening to Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you decided to listen in this week. Hey, joining me in the second and third segments of today's program is a first-time guest on the program, Mr. Jeff Berwick. Jeff is an extremely interesting guy. I know you're going to enjoy my conversation with him. Uh, Jeff is the founder of the website dollarvigilante.com, and he also has a podcast with a very colorful name. It's called The Anarchast. He is a prominent speaker at Freedom and Investment Conferences, and he regularly appears on CNBC, Bloomberg, and Fox Business. And uh, I caught up with him here recently uh, to get his take on what is going on in the economy, and we're going to talk to him a little bit about Bitcoin as well. So stay tuned for that. And because my guest today uh, founded the website, The Dollar Vigilante, I thought it was only appropriate that I take some time to talk about our currency, the currency we use every day, the U.S. dollar, in this segment. Now, it's no secret that when you go to the grocery store, when you go to the doctor's office, when you go to the car dealer, and you take a look at what it costs to buy things today, it takes more of your currency today to buy things than it did in the past. That is a phenomenon known as inflation. Now, one of the ways that the strength of the U.S. dollar is measured is using something called the U.S. dollar index. In fact, I track it each week in the newsletter that I publish called Portfolio Watch. And if you're not yet a subscriber, I don't know what you're waiting for because the newsletter is free. It is published each week and distributed Mondays at 5 o'clock after market close. And if you'd like to get a free subscription, all you need to do is go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com and subscribe. We just need uh, the email to send it to, and we will send you just an email every week. We don't share your information, and we won't inundate you with emails. It's just a way for you to keep track of what's going on in the market and gain some uh, what we feel is necessary economic um, and financial perspective. But back to the U.S. dollar index. The U.S. dollar index is a relative measurement. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't measure absolute purchasing power. It measures the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar relative to the six major trading partners of the United States. So when the U.S. dollar index is higher, it means the U.S. dollar purchases more relative to the currencies against which it is measured. It is not a measure, as I mentioned, of absolute purchasing power. If it were a measure of absolute purchasing power, it would show the U.S. dollar is losing purchasing power. See, when you create money via quantitative easing or whatever term you wish to use, you're devaluing the currency. And this is a very simple principle. You don't need to be an economist or a financial expert to understand this. If you have an abundance of something, typically the value goes down. And when something is scarce, typically the value goes up. And when you look at the U.S. dollar, as more is created, it becomes less valuable. The dollar is no different than any other article or element. Now, Andrew Moran, who is an economics correspondent for Liberty Nation, uh, wrote about this global effort this global trend that is going on that he called de-dollarization. 
And I want to give you just a bit from his piece, and I'm quoting, In the last several years, the world has started to witness an incremental de-dollarization push by a handful of nations. The process of reducing dollar holdings, using local denominations, and taking part in currency currency swaps rather, has become ubiquitous. Right now, it is only America's so-called adversaries, such as Russia, Iran, and China, that are leading this movement, but the data suggests more states are gradually attempting to dethrone the dollar. Today, the share of dollars held in global reserves has tumbled from 65.3% in the fourth quarter of 2016 to 61.8% in the second quarter of 2019. Let me just stop there for a minute. 65.3 to 61.8. That is exactly a 3.5% decline. And that's a 3.5% decline in two and a half years. Now, you might say, big deal. Reserves are down from 65% to about 61%, just under 62% to be precise. What does that mean? Why is that a big deal? Well, when you take a look at where these reserves are moving to, and I'll go back to Mr. Moran's article, he said the shares of allocated reserves are becoming more diversified as the euro, the yuan, the Chinese currency, and the yen, the Japanese currency, have attained a greater representation in global reserves. So essentially, according to Mr. Moran, what's happening is countries are reserving less in U.S. dollars and more in the euro, the yuan, and the yen. Now, it was amazing to me when I read this that the yen is actually gaining greater representation as far as global reserves are concerned than the dollar. Because when you take a look at the financial condition of the United States, the United States last year in 2018 has national debt to GDP of about 106%. So what that means is for every dollar the United States produces in economic output, we have $1.06 in debt. Now, when you look at Japan, it's a far more dismal picture. For every dollar of economic output in Japan, there is, I should say every yen, but to keep it consistent, for every unit of currency of economic output, there's 2.38 units of currency of debt. So debt to GDP in Japan is 238% versus 106% in the United States. And yet the yen is gaining greater representation. Now, if you're not familiar with this whole idea of reserves, reserve is simply a term that's used to refer to the currency that a country might choose to store excess capital. Now, since World War II, the U.S. dollar has really been the world's go-to reserve currency. There was simply not a better place to store excess capital because the dollar had a link to gold after World War II, and that link stayed in place until 1971. But since that time, the U.S. dollar has been losing purchasing power, and it's lost enough purchasing power compared to other options that now we're seeing this whole reserve uh, situation change. So rather than inventorying or reserving U.S. dollars to use in trade with other countries, as has been the norm for the past 70 years or so, countries are now making deals with other countries 
to trade using currencies other than the U.S. dollar. For example, when you look at Mr. Moran's piece, um, some of the world's largest exporters, he says, have halted the accumulation of U.S. debt securities. See, if you're going to reserve in U.S. dollars, you're just going to store money until you need to use it. You buy U.S. debt securities. You buy treasuries. Well, in 2014, China and Russia signed a three-year deal to trade in their own currencies with about $25 billion in commerce over that three-year time frame. Now, the whole idea was avoid the U.S. dollar and increase trade with our own currencies. Now, in September of 2017, three years after this deal was made, the Russian government approved legislation that made the ruble, the Russian currency, the main currency of exchange of all Russian seaports. Germany has requested a new independent payment system, according to Mr. Moran, suggesting that it wants alternatives to the buck as well. So what's the bottom line of all this? Well, certainly uh, the U.S. dollar at this point is still the best house in a bad neighborhood, to use that analogy. Uh, But as bad as it is, there is not a viable alternative yet, but alternatives are beginning to emerge. So the reason I bring all this up is that storing capital in the U.S. dollar, or I should say storing all your capital in the U.S. dollar, as the Federal Reserve pursues weak dollar policies, just doesn't make sense. So countries are looking for alternatives, and perhaps you should too. What I'm really talking about here is an inflation hedge. You know, money printing leads to inflation. Excessive debt levels lead to deflation. That's why we recommend a two-bucket approach. However, when confidence in the currencies is shaken, you want to have tangible assets. And I'll talk more about this in the last segment of today's program. I'll be back after these words with Jeff Berwick. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me on today's program is Mr. Jeff Berwick. Uh, Jeff is the founder of the newsletter and website, The Dollar Vigilante. Uh, the website is dollarvigilante.com. Uh, he also is the host of a very popular podcast, uh, Anarchist. And uh, he is a prominent speaker at many freedom and investment conferences around the world, including his own, uh, which uh, is coming up uh, in Acapulco, Mexico, titled uh, Anarchapulco. He is a regular commentator on CNBC, Bloomberg, and Fox Business News. And uh, Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you. Jeff, can you uh, g- give a little bit of uh, your 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 background and motivation to be- to begin your newsletter and and the site uh, dollarvigilante.com? Yeah, sure. I uh, I was born in Canada and I actually had an internet company in Canada in the 1990s, and uh, it uh, grew to a size of 240 million dollars. We were going to go public on the Nasdaq, and then the crash happened in 2001. The tech bubble collapsed, and all of a sudden the company was worthless. And I asked a lot of people, 
what happened and, uh, and you know including people like uh, MBAs and brokers and financial analysts and almost everyone just said that just happens sometimes and I said well there's got to be more of a reason than that that we have these bubbles and these crashes and uh, soon after someone handed me the book The Creature from Jekyll Island by G. Edward Griffin which describes how the Federal Reserve came into existence and that explained a lot to me and I was pretty shocked that uh, most people don't even know this information. It's actually been quite hidden over the last hundred years, more than a hundred years since the Federal Reserve was founded in 1913. And uh, I began going down the rabbit hole, so to speak, and looking into more and more things and uh, realizing that a lot of the things that were told, and especially a lot of things that were never told, uh, are very important information that are actually withheld on purpose by a lot of the people who are in power, in control, people like on Wall Street and, and the people who control the central banks. And so I spent a number of years, uh, probably about 10 years looking into all these things. And by the end of it, it was around 2010. And uh, I actually had predicted the 2008 financial crisis because once I understood how it all worked, it actually becomes quite uh, quite clear and quite easy to see how these bubbles happen and when they're going to end and things like that. And so once I saw the uh, real estate uh, crisis in 2008 and the financial crisis uh, that, uh, and I had predicted it, I, I realized that I under, uh, understood a lot of the financial system, more than I'd say 99.999% of people, including most brokers, most financial advisors. Uh, most people hadn't looked into these things as much as I had. So I decided in 2010 to start the Dollar Vigilante uh, with the tagline surviving and prospering during and after the dollar collapse, because that's what's coming next. Uh, and I said, by the end of this decade, and we're very, very close now, uh, but we're actually very, we're actually in it right now with all the things going on. Uh, we're very close to the next crisis and it'll be a, a massive collapse. And so I decided I, I needed to tell the world about that. So I've been doing that for about 10 years now. Jeff, when you take a look at the pattern here, um, you know, since since 1913, obviously there have been a number of uh, bubbles followed by busts. And uh, I think that whole cycle's probably picked up a lot since 1971 when the official link between the dollar the, the, the quasi-link, you could say, between the dollar and gold was abolished. And it seems like it takes more monetary stimulus to get less of an outcome. And it seems like each subsequent bust is worse than the prior. If you agree with that, uh, but just give me your comment. And then and what is this next bust going to look like in your view? Well, it's pretty funny because when the Federal Reserve came into existence in 1913, uh, it was actually the third central bank in the U.S. Uh, right since the beginning of the U.S., they've been fighting against central banks. The Even the founding fathers understood that central banks, first of all, it's a tenet of communism. It's, it's a central top-down control of the money system. But they also understood it's incredibly nefarious and a very bad thing for the people in general. And so they got rid of the first one. They got rid of the second one. And then uh, in 1913, they, they managed to uh, basically uh, uh, get it by Woodrow Wilson, who actually, after he, uh, uh, after he was done being president, he said that he felt incredibly bad because he had sold out his country to the bankers. And that's exactly what happened. But the funny thing is that what the central bank was saying at the time, the Federal Reserve, was that we need a central bank to get rid of booms and busts. <laughs> when, in fact, 
central banks are the biggest cause of booms and busts. And you pointed out correctly that we've had nothing but booms and busts ever since. In fact, uh, one of the biggest busts ever was uh, soon after the Federal Reserve was created. They created a massive increase in the money supply in the 1920s, and then they withdrew it, causing the Great Depression. And that was actually all on purpose, if you look into it. And uh, they've been doing it ever since. And so all these uh, crashes and, and booms and busts are actually caused by the central bank. But the issue, as you pointed out, in, in uh, August 15, 1971, uh, Richard Nixon took away uh, the quasi-gold backing away from the dollar, and that was the first time ever uh, that all currencies in the world, essentially, uh, were not backed by anything. So we've lived in a completely unbacked fiat currency system since 1971, and we've had a number of busts, and they continue increasing the money supply massively. And as you correctly pointed out, uh, as you continue to do these things, they get less and less effective. In, in fact, I, I, I don't think it's effective at all. It's not good for anyone to ever inflate the money supply, which is all the central bank does and manipulate interest rates. But uh, even if you believe that what they're doing does in some ways help the economy, which it doesn't, but if you do believe that, uh, they by printing more and more money, and especially the U.S. government going into more and more debt all the time, you eventually hit uh, the rock and the hard place. And that's essentially where we're at right now. We've actually had almost every central banker come out and say the system is going to collapse. The former Bank of England governor just came out and said, we're headed towards Armageddon right now. We're in it right now. Um, I just saw another one just uh, yesterday. I think it was someone from the Federal Reserve. I'd have to look it up, though, but uh, saying that this system has reached the end. Uh, there, there's no way to continue on with this system because there's so much debt now. And uh, now we're going into things like negative interest rates. And uh, with the U.S. government just surpassed $23 trillion in debt, uh, when Barack Obama became president in 2008, it was only about $8 trillion. So it's tripled in the last uh, 10 or 11 years. And the actual money supply has gone up somewhere between three and five times in that time. That is complete banana republic. That is Zimbabwe. That is Argentina. That is Venezuela-style uh, hyperinflation that, that is going on. And we're about to see what happens at the end of it. And there, there's really not nothing they can do at this point. Uh, they can... They can try going in super negative interest rates, and that's what they're talking about. Christine Lagarde of the IMF, uh, who just became the Bank of England governor, uh, has talked about they need to go really heavy uh, negative interest rates, which will destroy the economy massively. Uh, but there's just no way to actually salvage the system at this point. It really, there's only uh, one way. Well, there's two ways. There's hyperinflation, which it looks like we're headed into. Uh, and the second is the biggest bust of all time, making 1929 look like the good old days. So, Jeff, when, when uh, some of our listeners may not be aware of the fact that the Federal Reserve is actually comprised of a private group of bankers, um, and I always like to point that out to people because, as, as you pointed out, you know, 99% of the people don't know that, um, and uh, somehow we're supposed to believe that those private bankers have our best interests ahead of theirs, which, which you pointed out um, is, is not the case. But when you're, you're talking, a lot of our listeners have to be frightened, and if you, you think of somebody that's retired or approaching retirement. I mean, they've already had a very difficult time of it. You can't get good yields anywhere safely, so they've got to stretch for risk. And now, if we're headed for this bust, um, what does it look like and how does it affect that person that I just described and what advice would you give them? Yeah, it is not easy. In fact, uh, Christine Lagarde uh, again came out just last week saying, uh, you know, 
we basically made it so people have jobs, and but we made it so people can't save. And and, uh, and there's a you know there's a lot we could talk about there, but it gets quite technical. But that's essentially what's happened, as you pointed out. You really can't save anymore, especially with negative interest rates and the currency inflating so much. So it's impossible. So you're forced into things like the stock market, which are at all time highs. Uh, and yeah, it's very difficult. And things like social security, which I call socialist insecurity, it's a true Ponzi scheme is actually already in the negative. So there's less money coming in that gets paid out. And I just saw a stat that uh, in the next uh, 80 years or something, there's going to be a total deficit in social security of $43 trillion or something like that. It, it won't go that far. In fact, it's basically on the verge of collapse right now. So yeah, if you're living on your social security payments, uh, you are going to not have a very easy time over the next few years because either the currency is going to inflate so much that you will barely be, be able to buy anything with it or the whole thing will collapse and you won't actually receive anything. Those are the two options in the next few years. So, uh, you know, we're going to see things like the banks closing down. A lot of people are going to lose a lot during this next crisis. But the good thing is there is options. And if people act quite quickly, they can protect themselves. And that is to get into things like precious metals, uh, gold and silver. Those are going to do very well during this period of time. And I, I know you have kind of an older audience. It's a retirement show, so uh, they might not be too into this. But cryptocurrencies definitely can help you get through this. And we actually at the Dollar Vigilante only recommend having about 20% of your portfolio in cryptos because they are very volatile. They're very new and they're a little complicated, especially if you're older. So I wouldn't be recommending to some grandmother out there who barely knows how to use email to get into cryptos. But definitely precious metals is, is uh, one way you can protect yourself if you do have assets. Right Jeff, if you go back and study history, you can go back to ancient Egypt and, and gold was used as money. And gold has been money throughout most of history. At least money has always been, for the, for the most part, something tangible or at least linked to something tangible. So we really live in you know unusual times from an historical perspective. Do you see gold becoming money again? Do you, do you see us going back or some parts of the world going back to a gold standard as this this reset, to use that term, unwinds? That's a good question. I, I can't really predict the future, uh, but I would say that there is a, a chance that precious metals will become part of a uh, used as currency again at some point here, especially if all the fiat currencies collapse. And we have Japan is on the verge of collapse. The yen is on the verge of collapse. The euro is on the verge of collapse. The dollar actually is on the verge of collapse. So when these happen, people will be looking for alternatives. Now, of course, the central banks and the governments, which are highly nefarious and evil organizations, will try to get people into their own new currency. And this is where they're talking about, uh, you see the, uh, China even coming out with a digital currency. Uh, the Federal Reserve says in the next five years, they'll come out with a digital currency. So they're basically saying they're going to, once this all collapses, create a new currency. And, uh, and I actually wouldn't be in favor of using those sort of things. But uh, definitely we could see precious metals becoming part of uh, more used as currency. But the biggest problem with precious metals is it's not that easy to use as currency. Uh, obviously, if you go to the gas station with a gold coin, uh, he, he's going to have to, unless he's got a whole bunch of silver coins lying around uh, that he can give you as change. It's just not that, you know, it's just not that uh, easy. And then, of course, we do live in a digital age today where a lot of people order things just online and forget about sending gold coins to Amazon for your new vacuum cleaner or things like that. But that's, again, where cryptocurrencies come in. So the great thing is cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin was created in 2009, and uh, it actually gives us a whole uh, uh, incredible uh, um 
basically a money system that not only is a money system, it's also a banking system in itself that people can use right now. And I use it every day. And most of my friends use it every day. Uh, that uh, is so easy to use. It's actually so much better than the banks. It's cheaper. It's faster. They can't shut it down. They can't hyperinflate the currency. Uh, so that, I think, is probably more likely to be uh, potentially used by mo- a lot of people in the future as currency. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We're out of time in this segment. Our guest today is Mr. Jeff Berwick. Uh, Jeff's website is dollarvigilante.com. His event is Anarchapulco, and I'm going to ask him about that in the next segment. I would encourage you to check out his website and stay tuned. I'll be back and continue my conversation with Jeff when RLA Radio returns. I am Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting today with Mr. Jeff Berwick. Uh, Jeff's website and newsletter, dollarvigilante.com, is one that I would encourage you to check out. Um, he also has uh, an event, a conference coming up called Anarchapulco. And Jeff, before we jump back into this segment, uh, explain what that conference is all about and how people could get more information. Sure. It started uh, uh, five or six years ago, 2014, I guess five years ago. Uh, And uh, it's a voluntarist conference or basically a freedom conference. So the people that go to the conference believe in total freedom. Uh, They believe that every individual owns themselves, that they shouldn't be forced by anyone to do anything they don't want to do. Uh, They shouldn't be slaves. They shouldn't have rulers. Uh, that uh, that all human interaction should be voluntary, and that's called voluntarism. And it's actually grown tremendously. It's almost doubled in size every year. It's coming up February 13th to 16th. Uh, uh, some people that uh, your audience might know who are speaking are people like Ron Paul, uh, who's a big freedom advocate, uh, people like Doug Casey, uh, and uh, many, many more. You can go to the website and check it out. But it's a, it's a quite an incredible event. It's a lot of people who are uh, not only uh, want to be free, uh, but they also are working on systems uh, to make the world a lot freer, uh, things like cryptocurrencies. So we have four full days on cryptocurrencies called CryptoPoco during AnarchaPoco. So we're trying to devise new uh, systems and uh, new ways uh, to get around uh, government systems, which are all collapsing anyway, and central banking systems, which are all collapsing, uh, to create new systems. Uh, th- there's that old saying, I think it was Buckminster uh, something, fully maybe, uh, who said that uh, uh, you can't, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote, I always do, but it's something along the lines of you can't uh, destroy an old system by attacking it. You have to uh, make a new system that makes the old system obsolete. And that's what a a lot of the people at the event are doing. And there's a lot of health stuff as well, uh, because most people aren't getting access to true health information. In fact, Google and the government and so many organizations are trying to make it so you can't get access to real good information on health. And to make it quite uh, short and brief, a lot of the things that your doctor is giving you is not uh, making you better. It's actually making you worse. And uh, there's a lot of natural uh, health things that can be done, including just basic things like fasting and intermittent fasting and and things like that, that uh, we talk about at the event. uh, So people can, because a big part of being free and uh, being a sovereign individual is having your own health. So we have a whole health and wellness portion to the event as well. 
Well, and certainly that's an area, I believe, as uh, we talked about the underfunding of Social Security and the underfunding of uh, or the national debt in the past segment, and the Medicare underfunding dwarfs that of Social Security. So people are going to be forced to probably take control of that themselves. And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that both Mr. Casey and Dr. Paul have been past guests here on the program. So uh, you are in terrific company here. So let, let me just jump in and talk about cryptos again, because uh, when you when you look at cryptos, they're they're highly volatile, and it seems to me, just to play devil's advocate for a minute, if I could, that you know one of the characteristics of a currency is that it needs to be somewhat stable. What would you say to to that position uh, when it comes to using cryptos in everyday commerce? Yeah, I 100% agree with your statement. That uh, and I don't think any crypto today is a good currency currently as far as holding its value and being stable. Uh, it's, it's a very small market. The thing is that Bitcoin was started in 2009. I only found out about it in 2011, and we actually recommended in our newsletter to buy it at $3. It's currently close to $10,000. So for people, uh, we do this a lot. Uh, you might want to sign up to our newsletter at dollarvigilante.com slash subscribe. But, uh, you know, really, most people, uh, the average person really just heard the word Bitcoin probably around 2015. Uh, then, of course, everyone had at least heard the word by 2017. But it's still a fairly small market. I think it's, it's impossible to tell how many people are involved in the market, but I've, I've seen some estimates that I think are reasonable that it's about 30 million people are involved, uh, have some cryptocurrency at this point, uh, which is about the size of Canada. It's obviously about, well, what is that, about one, uh, less than a percent or two of the population of the world. So it's very small. Uh, the total market capitalization of all cryptocurrencies is a little over $200 billion right now, which is about what Bill Gates is worth. So uh, it's a very small market. And when you have a small market and it's growing dramatically, uh, you get a ton of volatility. So 2017 was the perfect example of upside volatility in Bitcoin. It went from $1,000 in January and hit a high of $20,000 by December. And then in 2018, it went all the way down to about 3500 and it's since back, uh, bounced back up to 10000 So if what you're looking for is uh, to hold cryptocurrencies uh, because you want to be, uh, you want stability, you're in the wrong place. I would suggest you go into precious metals for that. Uh, if you want to start using something that is very useful as a day-to-day -day currency, definitely look into it. And I highly recommend that because uh, most people can't understand cryptos until you start using them. It's a lot like email. I remember the Today Show in 1993 or something had Bryant Dumbo, and they just heard the word email, and they were talking about it, and they couldn't understand how it worked. They, they said, well, how does it work without the post office and all this sort of stuff? And, and just like with email, you can't really understand it until you use it. But once you start using it, you go, oh, this is very useful. I, I totally uh, can use this in my day-to-day -day life. So I really suggest for people out there, if you kind of just don't know about it, but you are curious, just start using it. Find a way to buy some uh, Bitcoin. Uh, find a way to use it somehow. Uh, there's numerous places you can use it on. Uh, and once you start to use it, you really start to see the value. But yeah, it's definitely volatile. I expect it to be volatile for at least a few more years, at least until it gets into the trillions in market cap. Uh, and uh, But until then, but it still has massive, massive upside. So that's why we recommend that uh, people definitely are overweight precious metals, but definitely have some cryptocurrency for the uh, potentially massive gains in the future. You know, Jeff, I want to backtrack a bit if I could, because in the last segment, uh, when you mentioned that uh, Many central bankers around the world have come out to say that the system is is failing. It's going to fail. Uh, some some 
some statement along those lines and that uh, they're preparing their own cryptos, I couldn't help but think about, uh, you know, Weimar Germany when the mark failed and they came up with an alternative currency called the Rentenmark. And, you know, the, the, the more the more things change, the more they stay the same. So this is really just this, this currency cycle is really just kind of a long-term cycle that keeps repeating itself, isn't it? Definitely when central banks are involved. Of course, gold and silver were the first real monies used in most of the world, uh, widely used. Uh, they're still around today. A lot of people still use them as money, um, uh, not as much as uh, in everyday day-to-day transactions as much, but uh, they're still widely used. Even in Vietnam, I was there a few years ago and I looked at the real estate prices. None of them were listed in the in the price of the dong, which is the uh, Vietnamese currency, which is massively inflated, uh, but uh, it was all listed in gold ounces. So that's an example of a currency that has gone on for thousands and thousands of years and is still very strong. In fact, gold has been the best investment uh, except for cryptocurrencies in the last 20 years, since 1999. It's risen more than the stock market the bond market. So, so in that sense, the real money that I would say gold and silver are like real money, uh, they don't go away uh, very easily, if, if at all. But central bank money, yeah, it's a cycle. Every central bank fiat currency will go to zero. Uh, and that's because they continue just to print massive amounts of money. And when you do that, you eventually reach hyperinflation. And you pointed out how uh, the Weimar Republic did it. Uh, it's funny seeing it in you know more modern times. I was just in Venezuela about two years ago, and it was getting very bad. And it's so funny because they they had the Bolivar and then the Bolivar went to zero and hyperinflated to zero. So they came out with the strong Bolivar, (laughs) like how they just added the word strong to it. And, and, And then they went to zero. Uh, and so, the, you know, that's a, you know, it basically, if, you, if you, what you're putting your uh, trust or faith in is a central bank, uh, you're going to have a bad time eventually. And that's uh, it's the same for the U.S. dollar and the same for the euro, same for the yen. They're all going to be going towards hyperinflation. You know, it seems like uh, the the bankers are so entrenched politically that it's going to be hard to go back to a system that doesn't involve a central bank. Do you envision that that could be a possibility? I think if you leave it up to governments uh, who are basically controlled by central banks, that uh, they'll continue to use central banks uh, as long as they can, as long as people continue to use their currency. And that's why it's really important, actually. That's a big focus of Narcopoku is making people realize they have power and that they can become sovereign individuals. They can actually own their own money, which is Bitcoin. You can actually hold it in your own brain just by remembering your password, uh, your, your key. Uh, you can actually become your own bank. You, when you have Bitcoin, you're actually your own bank. It's not held at Chase Bank or Bank of America. Uh, when those go under, uh, you lose your money. And they say the government's got an insurance fund. That fund is actually bankrupt. Uh, a lot of people don't know that. Uh, but you actually, you can empower yourself by starting to use these things. So I think uh, as long as there's governments, and I hope but not too much longer, actually, this might be kind of shocking to a lot of your listeners who uh, think that uh, governments are a natural, normal, good thing in life. Uh, it's actually quite the opposite. And they're kind of going away. And central banks are as well. Uh, and the more that people wake up to this and start just taking control of their own uh life, to control their own health, their own uh, currency, their own bank, become their own bank, uh, the faster that all those things will just go away. And that will actually lead to a world of peace and prosperity like we've never known it, because central banks are actually responsible for every war. Uh, they're responsible for hundreds of millions of deaths. They actually uh, design a lot of these wars. These are all incredibly uh, designed sort of things. Uh, they also impoverish most of the world. 
uh, if we if everyone in the world started using gold, silver, and cryptocurrencies, we would have a world of peace and prosperity like we've never known it. Uh, but if everyone continues to use government currencies and central bank currencies, they're going to would be the same as people in Venezuela or in Zimbabwe or in Weimar. They're going to have a really bad time, and uh, hopefully enough people wake up before it's too late. You know, I'm, uh, as you were talking, I was reminded of a piece I read here this past week uh, by Ray Dalio, who's a hedge fund manager and a billionaire, who said that, you know, we've got um, all this money being being pushed to affluent entities and people by central banks who are desperate for them to spend it, but they're investing it, and that's what's driving up asset prices, and then those who really maybe would like to have access to money can't get it, and it's a central bank-created wealth gap, and the wealth gap, no matter which side of the political aisle you're on, or if you're political at all, is certainly wider than it's ever been. Um, to what extent would you blame central banks for that, that, that wealth gap? 100% because that's how it all works. It's actually a scam. Uh, there's nothing good about central banking. It's actually one of the biggest scams ever done on humanity. Uh, but because of their money inflation, and it was John Maynard Keynes who said that not one man in a, a million understands inflation. And, and I think that's still fairly true. I think thanks to the internet, maybe it's one in 100,000 now. But because of the inflation, uh, the people who just make money every day, they're, they're kind of like the, they're lower class or, or even middle class, and they're just living paycheck to paycheck, which 80% of people in the U.S. now are, thanks to central banking. Uh, they get no benefits of the inflation. In fact, they get robbed by the inflation. And the people who have assets, and those are mostly the rich people, a lot of the people who control the central banks, the top 1%. In fact, I'd say it's the top 0.001%. But they own a lot of assets. And all that uh, newly printed, inflated, counterfeited, essentially money goes into things like the stock market and things like that, which they have. And it goes into things like the real estate market, which they have a lot of real estate. So they get massive benefits from it. And the anyone who's not what you would call rich, uh, definitely not like worth less than $10 million. A millionaire today isn't even rich, thanks to central banking. Uh, but I would say, you know, if you've got a 10 million or more, you consider it a little bit rich, uh, you still can benefit from the system, but everyone else actually gets impoverished by it. So your average person who gets very angry and they want minimum wage laws to increase because they can't live anymore, uh, they want the government to do something, uh, people like Donald Trump calling for the Federal Reserve to print more money and to go into negative interest rates, uh, that actually will destroy even more of uh, the poorer people in fact, the, the enemy of, of poor people, as far as why they're poor, for the most part, unless they're just incredibly lazy, is, is uh, governments and central banks. That, those are uh, what is destroying uh, most people. And uh, people just need to wake up and realize that. And of course, they won't be taught that in the government schools, which I just call indoctrination camps, which they send you to for 12 years. They'll never tell you how the money system works. They'll never tell you how the central bank works. Even as you pointed out earlier, most people don't even know the Federal Reserve is not a part of the U.S. government. It's a private banking cartel. Uh, it's all a scam. And uh, people, if they can uh, realize it and wake up, uh, they could start to move away from it. And then they will actually uh, have a lot more prosperity. But as long as they keep uh, in the system and keep believing the system and keep asking the system to help them, they're going to go uh, even further and further impoverished. Well, our guest today has been Jeff Berwick. The website is dollarvigilante.com, and I would encourage you to go check it out. Jeff, very much enjoyed our conversation. Would love to have you back down the road. Thank you. We will return after these words.
Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today, and thanks again to Mr. Jeff Berwick of DollarVigilante.com for joining us on today's program. You know, in the first segment of today's program, I spoke about the fact that uh, there was an article written by Mr. Andrew Moran, who is a correspondent in economics for Liberty Nation, about the de-dollarization that is coming. And the bottom line is, and we talked about it with Jeff Berwick as well, is that as more currency is created, as more fiat currencies are created, the less value these currencies have. So looking at alternative places to store your wealth makes some sense, at least with some of your capital. Hopefully that point has been made very clearly to you on today's program. Now, central banks themselves, central banks are the institutions that control the issue of fiat currency. Central banks themselves are moving to assets that are tangible. Mr. Moran reports in his article that the World Gold Council reported that central banks have purchased an all-time high of 375 tons of gold this year so far. Now, that might only account for one-fifth of the total global gold demand, but the trend does lead to some interesting speculations for these purposes. Why are central banks buying gold when they control the issue of the currency? Well, certainly, they're looking to protect themselves. Now, as I mentioned, I think that the move away from the U.S. dollar completely is a way off because there's simply not a better alternative. Mr. Moran offers his opinion on the subject in his article. He said, should the de-dollarization kick into high gear, it's his, his opinion that it'll still take a long time for local currencies to overtake the buck. Of course, he says, a dollar crisis, which is quite possible in the not-so-distant future, could speed up the move. He adds the national debt has topped $23 trillion. The federal government is recording trillion-dollar budget deficits, and Washington faces more than $200 trillion, with a T, in unfunded liabilities expenditures. So he said it's hard to envision the greenback surviving for a very long time, but, as I often state, the what is far easier to predict than the when. However, given the current trajectory, the what is relatively easy to forecast. And as our history professors told us, history repeats itself. And historically speaking, currencies have always changed over time. Now, as I talked about here a couple weeks ago, the reserve currency of the world changes periodically, typically moving to the biggest creditor nation in the world. Now, a creditor nation is the nation that issues credit or loans money to other nations. That does describe the United States after World War II, but it certainly doesn't describe the United States today. Now, when the dollar crisis does occur at some future point, many will blame a politician or a group of politicians. Certainly, passing around political blame has become a sport, given that we're approaching another election cycle. And while certainly the politicians will deserve to shoulder some of the blame, 
In my view, most of the culpability will rest with the central bank for pursuing what I will call harebrained monetary policies. And yes, that is a financial term. History teaches us that printing money leads to the same consequences whenever it is tried. Given the debt levels that exist today, both in the private sector and public sector, we will at some future point have to deal with deflation. But given current monetary policy, we may have to deal with inflation first. And if you look at what happened in the country of Zimbabwe, it's a really good example of this. Zimbabwe re-denominated its currency three times between 2005 and 2010. The last time the currency was re-denominated, they were actually printing a $100 trillion bill. Eventually, due to the hyperinflation, Zimbabwe abandoned its currency and began using U.S. dollars and euros. The result? Deflation kicked in because there was still a lot of debt, and the debt simply got recalibrated to another currency. Because of this deflation, Zimbabwe once again adopted its own currency, and the result was that in May of this year, Zimbabwe quit reporting the official inflation rate because it is again off the charts. The lesson here is that high debt levels lead to deflation, and money printing to avoid deflation leads to inflation. And when confidence in a currency is lost and an alternate currency is used, the deflation sets in again. Now, at this point in the cycle, I'm becoming more confident that inflation is the most immediate risk, and your best defense is to be tangible in some of your assets. Uh, Gold, silver, and some real estate may make sense for many investors. If you'd like to learn more, go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. The website is retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. On the website, we have a number of resources there. And if you go subscribe to the Portfolio Watch newsletter, uh, the issue that will be released um, this next week will have a lot of information on investing in tangible assets for you to consider. So if you'd like to get that, just go to retirementlifestyleadvocates.com, go to the subscribe button and subscribe to the Portfolio Watch newsletter. It is free. We never share your information. We don't inundate you with emails, but that report will be coming out this week, and uh, I think it'll be valuable for many of you. So again, retirementlifestyleadvocates.com. There's also a lot of other alternate resources there for you to check out as well. That's all the time I have for this week. Thanks for tuning in. 